I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, I want to share a story about a secret life. Um, so the, I guess, impetus for today's topic, or the thing that got me thinking about today's topic and the story I want to share, um, was arguably this foolishness that's happening with Malik Yoba. Um, and the fact that I think following, um, the news that 17 year old Bailey Reeves, um, a rising senior here in Baltimore city, her life was taken uh, on uh, Labor Day. And I think following that announcement, um, he, Malik Yoba used, I think he took to Twitter, or he took to social media to just basically share that he is a cis man that was, that is attracted to women, both trans and cis, um, and that he's not ashamed of it and that more men need to speak up about it. And and then he started announcing all of these things that he was going to be engaged with, with advocating for um, justice for the women and girls, because Bailey was a girl. She's 17 years old. I was a child. Um, anyway, advocating to protect trans children and adults, and exp- specifically in this instance, black trans girls and, and women. Um you know, so he had aligned himself with trans organizations. Um, and I think I saw something as early as a couple of days ago where he was still attached to those projects, to those organiz- uh, those organizations, and he was still attached to speaking engagements. Um, but anyway, so, so he came out um, sharing that information and being an advocate and an ally and swiftly, as you know by now, this accusation from this young woman um, young trans woman who living in New York, in New York city, um, as a pre 13 year old as a teen, but that's still a child. Um, and anyway, as a 13 year old child girl, um, she had intercourse with Malik Yoba, which as a 13 year old, she's thinking, yeah, I'm doing this. I wanted to do this. But that what we know as grown people is that that was statutory rape. Malik Yoba was old enough to know that she was a child. I don't care how grown your body looks. You know a child in the face when you see one. That's it. Like Malik Yoba knew what he was doing. And so she came out and shared that. And also she mentioned that, you know, there might be litigation that's open around this. And so Malik Yoba, it's cute that he came out being trans attracted and and advocating for trans women and and all of that. But he's doing this to get ahead of these this litigation that's out. And it's like, ooh, what a creep. Wish somebody else would have the strength to come out that isn't a creep. Um, to share that it's okay to be a cis man and be trans attracted. But we're not there yet. Um, I hope we can be there soon um, because something has got to give. Something has got to give for real. 17, that's a big number, too many. And what we know is... I. We're not even counting. That's just from this year. We're not even counting the black trans women whose lives, women and girls, because a lot of these have been uh, 19, 
20. I know you might be 20 yourself thinking you're grown, but that's just not grown for me. Um, That's still super young. And anyway, black trans women and girls whose lives have been taken. Um, There were many who were taken in 2018. We don't have the number on that. We need to be talking about that number two, but 17 just this year alone is too much. And so we have people like um, India Moore and Angelica Ross, who I love, um, speaking loudly about these women and bringing light, shedding light on the fact that in many of these cases, it's black men, black cis men who are taking these women's lives. Um, but what we know in the is that cis people who can't come to terms, they got issues coming to terms with what whatever is going on in their lives are taking their frustration out on these trans women. Um, and that's not their problem. These trans women have their own lives to deal with, their own maturing and growth to, to handle. They don't have time to be to be your punching bag. Um, and so I appreciate a lot of this advocacy that's happening because we do need to have these conversations more. What's really going on that you think you need to take out your frustration on these women instead of dealing with it on your own term, going to counseling, being open and upfront with the people who you think are bullying you, uh, who are bullying you and, and uh, you know, making you feel a way about who you're attracted to. You know, that conversation needs to have definitely be, be had definitely in the black community. Arguably, it needs to be had in the cis community, cis male community. Um, but anyway, and so, you know, a lot of folks are in hiding. And then when they're found out, they they act in this aggressive way. Arguably, I'm not saying in all of these cases, but in many. Um, and so anyway, so, we're you know, folks are hiding and and things like that. And and. I guess thinking about this whole situation and wondering how this whole thing with Malik is going to turn out um, and hoping that the young woman who came out very courageously and shared, you know, Malik was wrong. I, as an adult, I understand that I didn't know what I was doing because I was a child thinking I was grown, but I wasn't grown. And so Malik needs to come to terms with what he did to me um, when I was a child And so I'm curious to see how that's going to come out. But just thinking about this whole situation reminded me of something that happened about a year or so ago. Actually, maybe two years ago it began. Two or three years ago it began. Um, And and it's not related to trans attractedness. I just, in thinking about, you know, the Malik Yoba case... And thinking about, you know, the fact that listening to Marsha's plate, what I'm reminded is trans women, black trans women have to be on their guard because not only do they have to, in navigating love and relationships, and even in sex work, if that's what they choose to do, not only do they have to just generally make sure that they're doing what they need to do to be safe you know, using protection and, and having safeguards and all of that stuff. But then they have to, then they have to keep in mind that you might flip out at any time, cis man, um, because of what you might be going through, um, because you haven't told anybody or the hoops that, um, they would have to jump through, you know, just to be seen. Like, I think, um, 
Mia from Marsha's Plate, which if you're not listening to Marsha's Plate, you really ought to. They're funny. They are um, inspirational and they have a lot to say. They have a lot of great wisdom to share. You really ought to be listening to them. Anyway, um, I think Mia shared that she was a sex worker or had done sex work and um, she or or she was just dating someone who was, you know, was dating her, but didn't want anybody to know. And so sometimes he would come to her door and have a hoodie on um, and he would only come at night and he would have this hoodie on. And she's, you know, she looks out her door and she, she is this knock. She looks out at the people. She's like, oh, OK, this is not going to work because, you know, it's dark. You got this mat, you know, you got this hood down, this black hoodie on. That's, you know, that's what, that's what, uh, what do I want to say? You know, ne'er do well. Somebody who's, who's up to no good. That's what you wear. That's the, that's the, the regulation wear for when you try to sneak around and do something you don't want to be caught for. You don't want to be ID'd for and she's just like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to work. Like, because I don't know what you're about to do. And and rightly so. I'm not answering my door for you. If you come to it in a, in a black hoodie and it's at night, I can't see your face. No, thanks. Um, so anyway, you know, trans women have to put up with that. And I'm just thinking the links that just listening to some of the stories that that both Mia and Diamond have shared um, with with cis men cis men in their case I think it was mostly cis black men and the links to which that they would go to to many of them keep the relationships secret and hidden it just got me thinking about secret lives here lately um and there's a story that I'm going to tell you about someone that I knew through someone else it was a mutual uh someone who was my friend because I was friends with their um, sibling. And I've told this story on YouTube, the uh, Bay Baltimore YouTube channel, but I'm going to tell this now um, because I don't know, it's just really on my heart. So I'm going to tell this story and I'm not going to use any names, but I am going, the, the scenario is true. The names are not yet. Yeah, the scenario is real. Um, it's a real situation the uh names are fake um but yes i'm just gonna dive in because this just secret lives and the consequences of keeping secrets about your life can have far-reaching consequences and it's one thing to tell your family listen this is who i am this is my truth and if you don't like it well you don't have to be in my life it's another thing to live a double life and what we know and, and again i'll just circle back around to this what we know is that a lot of cis men are so ashamed at what they think the consequences of loving a trans woman would be that they would rather take that out on the trans woman themselves than to imagine a life that maybe they don't have the friends that they have. They don't have the relationship that they have with the, with the family that they have because of whatever reason, they're just too close-minded and too weird to accept the people who that person chooses to spend their time with. Do you know what I mean? So, so the links that, you know, so they'll just hide so much stuff to the point where in order to keep these secrets, they would rather inflict harm on a trans woman. And so, you know, 
what we will do, the lengths that we will go to to keep our lives secret, um, aspects of our lives secret. And I, I don't know, I just, I'm going to tell this story. And then at the end of it, feel free to leave me a comment because it's, it's, I'm still turning it over in my head. But anyway, enough rambling. I'm just going to jump into it. Okay. So for the purpose of this story, I'm going to talk about three people. Um, the main person of the story is going to be called Brother B. I'm going to call him Brother B. And the other two people, which are Brother B's siblings, I'm going to call sibling one and sibling two. Um, what you need to know about the story before I begin is that I uh, was originally, I met Brother B through sibling one, through Brother B's sibling one. Um, we met, we hung out, and then in hanging out, I met Brother B. And then sibling two, Brother B's sibling two, I met through hanging out with sibling one, hanging out with Brother B, and then sibling two would be around. Sibling two is older than brother B and sibling one. Sibling one is the youngest. There are, there's another sibling, but for this story, the other sibling isn't a part of this story. Um, so anyway, I had been hanging out with sibling one for maybe two or three years. And, you know, we talked about everything together. We were super close. Um, living in Baltimore, we we're both Baltimore transplants and worshiped at the same, um, church and just spent a lot of time together. And, you know, just thinking about things differently, asking, you know, questions, you just kind of trying to feel out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You know how, um, it's, it's a biblical adage, but you know, people just use it in general to say, that about a lot of things, but just trying to figure out, you know, our own spiritual walk for ourselves. And so in doing that, you know, I get to know Brother B a little bit more and Brother B is in and out of our lives, you know, or at least my life popping in to visit um, and then going off to another adventure, living in New York City, going abroad, all of that. Um, very much embracing his, you know, his black identity to the point where and then also aligning himself with a particular form of Christianity that was orthodox. Um, and I think it was kind of patterned after the Eastern, the Ethiopian Christian church, um, orthodox Christian church. Um, so, you know, he living in New York, he belonged to this this group that was, I think, patterned itself, like I said, after the uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Christian Church. And like he's so identified with this spiritual walk that he was on, the spiritual journey that was different than how he and sister uh, or uh, sibling one and sibling two grew up um, very much. I think they were apostolic or Pentecostal. It might have been Pentecostal. I think they grew up Pentecostal, sibling one, sibling two, and brother B. Um, and so, you know, brother B 
yearned for a different connection to his faith. And so he had attached himself to this different way of believing. Um, and so he had attached himself and, and just believed in this transformation that he was going on so deeply that he changed his name to something that for this, for the purpose of this conversation, just say it was something deeply Hebrew sounding, biblical in nature. Um, and that was something shocking for his family to um, accept. And many of them didn't accept that. Um, many of his family members still called him by his birth name. Um, and he didn't freak out about that. He just, you know, kept moving, knew who he was, knew that this, his, you know, embraced his new name. Um, and sibling, for the most part, definitely sibling one. And I think sibling two calls brother B by this name. Um, his chosen name anyway, but I don't think his, I don't think their parents did. Um, anyway, so, you know, brother B's got this new name. He's, he's using his talent. He's super smart and super gifted in terms of just community organizing. So he had always aligned himself with service organizations that were either supporting refugees, uh, quote unquote refugees or, um, immigrants, Black immigrants from um, poor countries, poor nations. Um, I think definitely one of them was Haiti. Another one, I think, was Somalia. Um, and so these folks who were from Somalia, who were from Haiti, living in New York, because, you know, Brother B lived in New York. Um, so he would support these organizations, definitely help teach English to the kids who were in these families. Um and just generally be a part of organizations that provided support to help these uh, these uh, immigrant families um, kind of settle into life in the United States. And so years go by, he's still doing this. Um, I think at one point um, the family came back together because the, uh, a parent of Brother B um, sis, uh, sibling uh, one and sibling two had passed away and so came together and at that time I believe that uh, Brother B left the religious group that he was fellowshipping with because of disagreements um, and I think he was just kind of doing his own thing so very much worshipping in the way this this different way that he um Appreciated, but wasn't fellowshipping with that group anymore. Um, and so still very much attached to supporting um, black folk in the diaspora. And at this point, he somehow had attached himself to a nonprofit organization who was um, whose aim was to, to continue to provide support to folks impacted by the earthquake in Haiti. Um, and so I think he was gearing up to support an organization that was supporting kids in Haiti specifically. So he had, you know, was gearing up to do that, you know, getting his passport together, um, you know, getting his affairs together, getting up enough money so that he could spend some extended time working on this project, making sure the money was right when he got there, you know, brushing, I think he spoke French, brushing up on his French all of that. Um, 
And so, yeah, so he was doing all of that stuff. And um, sibling one, you know, was excited about it too. Sibling one also kind of patterning themselves after um, Brother B had chosen a career path where where they were supporting folks in disaster relief situations across the country. Um, not necessarily going in and cleaning things up or, or pulling folks out of rubble or out of high water, but more so on the administrative side, um, making sure that resources were, you know, available where they needed to be available. Anyway, um, so yeah, so, you know, Brother B's influence was far reaching. Um, and, and like I said, it impacted um, sibling one. Anyway, so like I said, Brother B gets connected with this organization that's, you know, spending time in Haiti and has organ- has brick and mortar buildings in Haiti and starts, you know, to get uh, sibling one enthusiastic about helping with the organization, too. And so sibling one um, spends some time, goes down there and um, gets excited and, and starts planning time to go back again and go back with Brother B. But by this time, um, you know, Brother B, I think Brother B either finalizes his affairs in New York or at least puts a lot of things on hold, you know, settles up his uh, apartment for the next, what, six months or so, and then um, goes to hang out with sibling one for a little while before he spends, you know, the six months uh, in uh, Haiti doing what he was going to do. And it's at this time where he goes and visits sibling one and sibling one lives in the South. And I guess it was easier to travel down South to make the journey to Haiti. And anyway, sibling one, uh, hosts brother B and notices that brother B has this cold and then starts talking to brother B and realizes, you know, brother B shares that, Oh, I've had this cold for a minute. Um, And then sibling one is like, oh, well, you definitely need to stay on top of that. Get your health together, because if you're sick now, who knows if you're going to be able to go to Haiti? Like you got to like if your health isn't well now, like you don't want to go into a situation where you might be even further immune compromised just because you're sick um, and make yourself sicker and then get a, you know, a worse illness. Um And so, you know, Brother B is like, okay, well, let me go back to the doctor. So he, you know, or maybe let me just postpone this until I can get a handle on, you know, my sickness. Um, So he goes back to New York and it's at this point where, you know, we believe he's convalescing, but at the same time, he's, Brother B is not communicating as much with sibling one and sibling two. And, um, and so I think, uh, you know, when brother B visited sibling one, it was like December or so, but, you know, he goes back to New York and trying to heal before he goes to Haiti. And that's when, you know, the communication isn't great. And so sibling one and sibling two begin to talk to each other and they start comparing notes. And so the months are going b- going by and it's like closer to May. It's getting close to May or, or I guess I think May rolls around. And sibling one and sibling two are like, you know, have you talked to Brother B? 
extensively? Like, have you FaceTimed him? Have you seen him recently? Um, Is he taking your calls or is it only texts? And they both compare notes and they find out that both of them primarily are only receiving text from Brother B. They're not really talking. Brother B is not answering the phone when they call, but Brother B is definitely communicating with them sparsely via text. And so um, sibling two on the guise of going to a conference, I actually think sibling two was actually going to a conference in New York or in the New York area. Sibling two takes the train um, sidebar. They grew up and their family base is on the East Coast, too, further south than uh, Baltimore, than Maryland. Um, And anyway, so they take the train from where the home base is um, up to New York. And um, sibling two, sibling two does this. And sibling two knows where Brother B lives. Everybody knows where Brother B lives. So sibling two um, calls Brother B and says, oh, well, I'm coming. I want to come to see you. Brother B doesn't answer. Brother B doesn't text either. So, you know, sibling two is calling and texting and in New York. And I think before sibling two leaves, gets a text from Brother B saying, I'm just not in a place to be seen right now. Um, maybe next time. Sorry, sorry about this, but you know, maybe next time. And so sibling two goes up to New York, does what sibling two had intended to do, except doesn't get to see Brother B, is very concerned. Goes back um, to the home base and you know, compares notes again with sibling one. And it's like, something's not right. Something's going on. Um, Sibling one thinks that they can get through to brother B. Sibling one and brother B are closer in age. And so, and we're just generally close with each other. And so, you know, they... Sibling one tries to reach out in the way that they typically reach out to brother B. Brother B responds, but in cryptic ways, like not giving a lot of information, saying, you know, I'm all right. I just don't want to be seen right now. Give me a little bit. Give me a little bit of time. Um, And then goes silent. So now we're in, uh, you know, we're creeping closer to August and between May and June sibling one and sibling two have been desperately trying to reach brother B and brother B has just not been super responsive August rolls through and they're hearing from brother B but again it's still kind of short messages here and there and September's rolling around September is significant because sibling one's birthday is September And remember what I said, uh, brother B and sibling one are close, very close. Sibling, uh, our brother B would never miss at least reaching out to wish sibling one a happy birthday. Um, Sibling one's birthday comes and goes. Brother B doesn't do anything, sends not a text, not a call, nothing, not an e-card, nothing. Um... Then another week goes by and 
and at this point, what you need to know in this whole thing is that leading up to that year and that year being last year, um, I'm talking with sibling one off and on and, and sibling one is relaying what's going on to me. And we are, you know, talking back and forth and just trying to figure it out. Not really sure what's going on, hoping that everything is okay. Just hoping that, you know, Brother B is just going through some things, but that they'll be back in touch soon. Um, because what else are you going to do? And, you know, so I'm, I'm there, I'm supportive. And the crush of emotion that sibling one felt, excuse me, when they hadn't heard from Brother B on their birthday was pretty big. And the sibling one was trying to mask the worry, but like, this was big. This is a big deal. And then um, some time goes by, just a week, and sibling one calls me and asks me if I'm in a place where I could sit down. And you know what happens next. Sibling one tells me that brother B has passed away and had passed away in their apartment, in his apartment. And learn, they learned this news, sibling one and sibling. Sibling one learned this news from sibling two, who received a call from Brother B's friend, who shared the news. Brother B's friend found him, um, went, basically did a welfare check. Hadn't heard, also hadn't heard from Brother B in about a, two weeks, two or three weeks. Um, Brother B was beginning to refuse his calls and and not respond to his text. So uh, Brother B's friend went to the the landlord and did a welfare check and discovered Brother B passed away on his bed or in the, I don't know if he was on his bed, he was definitely in the apartment. And come to find out, you know, long story short, the family goes through a lot to get Brother B back to the home base to have a memorial for Brother B and cremate him and all of that stuff. And it's just uh, a lot. It's a lot of things that need to be cleared up. Um, And so this is just a little sidebar. Make sure that no matter what your age is, if you're above 18, get your affairs in order. Um, Make sure that there is a plan. I know this sounds more, but make sure that there is a plan. You have a plan that's clear, that is known by your loved ones on what you want to happen to your remains when you pass um, because and and then make sure that there's some money set aside because when things aren't in order, it's a lot of chaos. And so in the grief process, and I don't know if things were in order, but, you know, they couldn't find anything in writing for Brother B. So. Um, sibling one and sibling two had to lead the charge and kind of figure things out how to, you know, get um, Brother B's remains um, cremated and then get them back. Well, first, the first Brother B had to be um, ID'd. So um, their uh, surviving parent had to go up to New York um, to identify Brother B. And then the family had to get him 
you know, cremated and then traveled back to the home base and then arranged uh, the uh, the home going service. And and it was just a lot. And so just emotionally trying to deal with the fact that Brother B left them in this very mysterious and very and this interest, this mysterious way um, and the fact that he was not communicating with them before he passed. Um, and then to have to deal with, you know, trying to, you know, properly send, give him a, a proper send off. Um, so anyway, so they go through all of this and, um, what you need to know is in the week or so following the information that the news that brother B was found, um, dead in his apartment, sibling one talks to the coroner or someone in the coroner's office in New York and was asked if Brother B had HIV. And they said, you know, sibling one said to the best of their knowledge, no, no illnesses, no nothing. Um, And then, you know, the medical examiner basically said, um, well, you know, found in, in, you know, Brother B's apartment was all this, you know, antiviral medication. Um, and so they're like, okay, all right, well. Um, preliminarily, Brother B died from pneumonia. That's what the ME's report preliminarily said. Following his, you know, you know, they got, they retrieved his remains and began to make the plans for his homegoing service. I get back in touch with um, sibling one and sibling one tells me unequivocally the medical examiner's report is conclusive it's finalized brother B had AIDS Um, and yeah had had it for a while or it had it had developed into AIDS Um, and he essentially succumbed to complications it was pneumonia, but pneumonia brought on by complications by a weakened immune system um, due to AIDS. And shock is the only way that I could describe how sibling one felt, the emotion that sibling one was describing. And I was shocked too. Um, And then just talking with sibling one, sibling one reminded me of a conversation that we had maybe three or four years ago where sibling one somehow or another got a hold to brother B's phone and saw a text that made sibling one think that perhaps brother B was gay or at least bi. And at the time I said, well, you know, that ain't none of your business. Really, that was my that was my feedback. That's not any of your business. If Brother B feels comfortable sharing, then Brother B will. But like, that wasn't your phone. That wasn't a text for you. Um, keep it under your hat until, until Brother B brings it up to you. In the meantime, just keep treating him like Brother B's your brother. Um, and keep it moving. And... When sibling one brought that up, I couldn't tell if sibling one was frustrated 
at that advice that perhaps, actually I do know, it felt like sibling one wanted wanted to ask brother B at the time if brother B was um, gay or at least bi. And in that thought process, you know where I'm going, that maybe somehow or another brother B would have told sibling one what sibling, what he was going through. And that he was diagnosed with HIV a couple of years ago and had told his friend, the friend that found him, uh, found his body. Um, his friend knew that he was living with HIV, but what his friend didn't know was that Brother B wasn't taking the, the antiviral medication that he was di- that he was given. Brother B decided to take holistic uh, and a holistic approach to healing. Um, and that approach did not work for him. Um, and so in the months where he began to refuse to talk to his siblings um, or see be seen by his siblings, it was because his health was getting worse. And the fact, the reason why, what we know now is the reason why Brother B did not call Sibling 1 on Sibling 1's birthday was because uh, Brother B had already passed before Sibling 1's birthday. And, yeah. And so, it's not, I can't blame Sibling 1 for looking back at the moment that Sibling 1 and I had about the discovery, that discovery of that text. I don't, I, I can't blame Sibling 1 for feeling frustrated for feeling frustrated for listening to my advice I still stand behind it if brother B would have wanted sibling one to know about it he would have let her he would have let sibling one know um but he didn't huh and it's like one of those things where it's like it's like what is the moral other than be open and allow people to be who they are around you. Don't don't create a space where a person feels like they have to, they can't share who they are. But at the same time, sibling one and, and, and brother B were close, like super close. Sibling one had been through a lot in, in life and, and, and brother B knew all about it. And so... I also appreciate where sibling one is coming from because brother B knew the very worst about sibling one and the ups and downs, everything. So why didn't brother B feel comfortable sharing this aspect of, of his life with sibling one? I don't know. No. And, and at this point, no one will know. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know the moral of the story. I just know I want to be authentic with the people around me and I want them to be true and live their true selves and be who they are around me. But at the end of the day, you can't make anyone, even a blood relative, you can't make them tell you things that they might not be comfortable sharing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know the moral of this story. It's just one of those things where it, like it hit me like a ton of bricks, because even though I wasn't as close to Brother B as I was to um, sibling one, it still hurt a lot. And I hurt for sibling one and sibling two and the whole family. And I also hurt for Brother B because why did Brother B feel like 
he couldn't share? Why did he feel like he needed to shoulder this by himself? And maybe he didn't shoulder it totally by himself. But what we know is that Brother B's friend, um, he stopped communicating with him. It's to the point where, you know, he needed to do a welfare check. And, and you know, what must it be like to find your friend passed away? can't be easy and then what must it feel like to turn around and be the to be the to notify your friend's family and have to go through all of that I don't I I I don't I couldn't even begin to understand what that would be like let alone be a sibling any of the siblings who had any sort of relationship with brother B and trying to come to terms with this so I just, I just, I continue to pray for the family and I wish them nothing but healing, continued healing. This is over a year ago now um, that this whole situation happened. And I'm sure it's not easier. And again, I don't know the moral of this story other than just be who you are and allow others to be who they are around you. And then just, you can't push anybody to share Information they're not ready to share, but at the same time, you can just be there. Just make sure that you're there when they're ready. Even if that means they never, they may never be ready. Whew. Anyway. I don't know. I just, again, the whole Malik Yoba thing and and cis men hiding relationships with trans women just kind of made me think about the lengths at which people will go to to hide aspects of their life from each other and I wish that that weren't the case that we could be open and honest with each other and that one day we will get to a place where we can be more open and honest with each other Oof, anyway also I understand that you know I guess the, the uh, aside from you can't make a person tell what they're not ready to tell holistic wellness has its place it absolutely does. Sometimes it's better to try a holistic approach than take a medication. But when it comes to antiviral medication, when it comes to this, when it comes to HIV and AIDS, you got to take your medication. Take your medication until there's a we find a more definitive way to heal and treat HIV and AIDS. Take your medication. And let's not stigmatize folks for living with HIV and AIDS. More people live with it than don't. Take PrEP when, if you are diagnosed anyway, take your medication. Be safe. Um, Live, you can still live a happy and full life. I have a friend who's living with HIV who is, I think is still not on medication. But living well, but if you are prescribed medication, take it. Take the medication. Um, Let's just be safe and make smart choices. Anyway, all right. Um, That was a deep, heavy conversation at points. So I will put a little note in the description box. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a message on anchor.fm. You know, click on the button. You can use the link in my in the show description. Um, 
and you can leave me a message. You don't even have to download the app. You just leave me a message if you felt anything about this episode or if you have a similar situation. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so and while you're there, feel free to leave me a favorable rating and um, donate if you choose. Even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But if you don't want to donate, just share um, this episode or any episode um, with your friends and family. Um, sharing it will help ultimately get this show in front of more faces or, or more ears um, and ultimately expand the reach of the show. Um, and you can help me do that. Also, um, however you listen to the show, Spotify, Anchor, of course, Google um, Podcast, Apple Podcast, um, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, wherever you listen to the show, be sure to leave me a favorable rating. Yeah. All right. That is it for now. Um, let's protect. Let's let's live our true lives. Let's practice safe sex. Let's take our medication. Let's not shame folks for um, having illnesses. It happens. Let's just be smarter about it. Um, let's protect, protect black trans women, women and girls. Um, and Angelica Ross is awesome. All right. That's it for now. Until next time.